Recovery Elevator, episode 436. I don't think you realize when you're drinking how much you've dimmed your own light. And when you finally let go of that, you just shine in a way that you didn't think you could. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. I'm Chris, and I'm pumped that you're here with us. On today's show, we have Lacey. She's 34, from Illinois, and has been sober since May 15th, 2020. Nice job, Lacey. I want to give a quick shout out to our chat host over in Cafe RE. Thank you for doing so much to support our community. Your work is amazing, and I love you guys. Before we get into the intro, let's hear from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Thank you to our newest partner, Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens daily. I gave AG1 a try because I noticed that I was taking multiple supplements a day and I was searching for something that took care of my immune system as well as gut health all in one. I'm training for another marathon and I take AG1 in the morning before getting my run in and it makes me feel like I'm ready to conquer the day. I'm a busy working mom, and it gives me such peace of mind knowing that I'm helping my body by providing it with all of the nutrients that it needs in a day. I've been taking AG1 for two months now, and I have noticed how good I feel throughout the day and how I don't immediately need caffeine upon waking up. All you have to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water, and voila, your cells will be grateful. One daily serving of AG1 contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash recovery. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash recovery. Check it out. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to Season 5, Recovery Elevator. As Paul and I were preparing for the season, we thought it'd be important to use the first couple episodes to set a bit of a foundation for the upcoming year, both as a reminder to us and to let you all know where our heads are at. I'm going to give my take on the RE mission statement and talk about what each of the six key themes means to me. First off, our mission statement. We offer hope through community and connection partnering sobriety-seeking individuals with other like-minded people. Over and over and over again, you're going to hear us and our guests talk about the importance of connection. It's not because it's the only thing that we know how to talk about, but simply because it's that important. Community continues to be a well that I draw from in my sobriety and healing journey. It's our goal to show you, the listener, that you are not alone in this. We want you to know that there are people out there just like you and to create a promise of hope that you can do this too. That community can be through the fellowship of listeners of this podcast. It can be through Cafe RE, traditional 12-step, a spiritual community, a gym, neighborhood watch, anything. The point is that you are not alone. All right, on to the six themes. Number one, Recovery Elevator is inclusive. We all know that addiction doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care about your race, your gender, your sexuality. It doesn't care what tax bracket you're in or where you live. Our message and our doors are open to everyone in the same way. No matter who you are, 
no matter what demographic society might want to put you in, you are welcome here. And like Paul mentioned in his last intro, we're also here for the loved ones of people struggling with addiction or for anyone looking to support those who want to change their relationship with alcohol. Number two, there is no right or wrong way to do this. Part of the beauty of this project is that our guests don't all fit into a box. Each person listening to the show is unique and beautiful in their own way. And yes, that means you are a beautiful and unique soul. I can give you the exact steps that it took me to wake up sober this morning, but you're not me. We welcome all pathways and modalities. What works for some may not work for others, but we want to bring you a buffet of options so that you can try things out and see what's the best fit for you. Number three, connection. I feel like we've mentioned this before. Again, we want you, the listener, to know that you are not alone in this. Addiction has this way of trying to wrap us up in guilt and shame. It wants us to feel removed from the people around us. But we're not alone. We're not the only ones. Together is always better. And we want to support you in finding a space where you can feel that love. Number four, don't just quit drinking. I know it's cliche, but drinking was just a symptom. Quitting drinking, though opens the door to a tremendous amount of healing opportunities. It's a chance to look at our lives through a new lens, to try to look at the events that have shaped how we respond to the world around us. And as we face these things, we become equipped to move forward in alignment with the life that we want. We no longer have to be reactionary. We no longer have to let our past control our future. Number five, we need to remain open. In Appendix 2 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the text finishes with these words. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. This means that if we make up our minds that an idea isn't going to work for us before we even try it, we've already failed. While it's true that not everything works the same for everyone, we've covered that, we want to encourage our listeners to be open to new concepts. And number six, we must pass along what we've learned to others. That's really what this whole thing is. The intros and outros are an opportunity for Paul and I to share a bit of our experience and journeys, and the interviews are our opportunity to hear from the recovery community at large. I've met some of the most amazing people in my life through recovery, and there's some wonderful stories of hope, restoration, grit, and healing out there. Even with over 400 episodes in the bank, we've hardly scratched the surface. We want to continue to keep this space open for all of you to share your experiences. We want to keep the knowledge flowing, and we must keep sharing what we learn. I also think it's important that we take these lessons outside of the recovery space. The lessons that we're learning and the healing that we're doing are like drops of water. There's this ripple effect on the people who are in our day-to-day lives. As we grow and change, we have an influence on who we encounter. Collectively, we can make this world a better place, one little bit at a time. From a smile instead of a scowl, from being able to use our healing to relate to someone who's struggling, our increased empathy and patience because of the work that we've done, The hope that we can bring to the rest of the world, it all adds up and it all matters. Well, Ari, that's what we've got in store for y'all for the next year. I want to thank you for allowing me into your ears every other week. 
on a personal level, your support over the two years that have been a part of this podcast made it an easy decision to agree to one more. I'm humbled by the wonderful guests that we've had and excited to get to know more of you over the year to come. Now, before we hear from Lacey, let's hear from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Trying to find balance in day-to-day life is tough. I'm a working mom, and it seems like the older my kids get, the busier our lives become. We all have different needs, and it's truly a challenge to take care of everyone else while also making sure my cup remains full. For me, setting that block of time in the week to check in with my therapist is a great way to protect my energy and my mental health. It's hard to balance everything that I'm juggling when I don't feel like I'm taking any time to balance myself and my emotions. Therapy has allowed me to use coping skills to navigate recovery as well as my busy mom life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Elevator. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Lacey. Lacey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks so much. Well, thanks for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better and hear some of your story Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Yes. So I have been sober since May 15th of 2020. So I'm coming up on my three years, just a few weeks away, which is really exciting. Exciting. We are, we we do record a little early. So by the time this comes out, you will have celebrated. Yes. (laughs) Three years is amazing. Nice job. An early nice job. How are you feeling? I'm feeling grateful and uh, definitely feeling like one of the lucky ones that I get to be celebrating such a big milestone. And this milestone feels very special. Two years and and one year were special, but this one feels even more special. I love that. We're one of the lucky ones. Are you a milestone celebrator? Like, 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 do you do anything special or do you plan to do anything special for yourself? So my one year was a very big celebration. Two years was a little more personal. And I think three years will be more on that trend as well. So probably just go out and celebrate, maybe get a nice dinner and uh, just maybe take a nice walk and reflect on what I've learned. I think that's a beautiful idea. Again, nice job. That's, that's, that's some serious time and I'm proud of you. So good job. Uh, before we get into your story, can you let listeners know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, age, uh, any family you want to talk about, and of course, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, absolutely. So I am 34 and I currently reside in Illinois. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and I've moved a little further away from the people, but still in Illinois. And I am an instructional designer. I work from home at a tech startup. So love having the ability to work from home and take walks on my lunch breaks. So love that. I am married to my absolutely wonderful husband, who's one of my biggest supporters and a big reason I was able to get sober because he's just so wonderful. I also have two cats, which are my whole world. They are my fur babies, and I spoil them 
to the ends of the earth that they're the best. And in terms of what I do for fun, I love nature, which I know is a theme on this podcast, but I love taking walks. I love camping. So excited for camping season that's coming up real soon in the Midwest. I also love to cook. I love to craft. I do tons of different crafting things from painting to making wreaths. I just love to do anything that's creative. I also am part of the community theater in my town. So that's a big part of my life right now. I act. I also volunteer to help sell tickets and work the box office and things like that. And then just about two weeks ago, I actually also started volunteering at my local animal shelter. So lots of time to fill up nowadays. And so I'm excited. I'm doing a lot of things that I really love with that time. You are a busy individual. Yes. (laughs) I love that the that the arts on like different levels are uh, sounds like is is a part of your life. I think that's amazing that you've got so many creative outlets, and then also like to be of service to that community as well. Yes, definitely. Also, just for my own edification, if I were a five year old and you had ten seconds to explain what an instructional designer was, <laughs> how would you do that? And so. Yeah, an instructional designer, we build content for training individuals on all different types of topics. So since I had a tech startup, it's all about the tech that we sell and how to use it and what all the buttons do. So just build a lot of really cool things. So also a creative outlet for me, which is great. Well, that sounds really neat. I had not not heard that before. Very cool. All right. uh, Enough of career lessons for Chris. Let's get to the good stuff. Uh, let's do what we came here to do, Lacey, and talk about your relationship with alcohol. Maybe let's start at the beginning, either first experiences or family background, where, wherever you think is appropriate, and then we'll walk forward together. Sure. So I started drinking not super early, but not super late either. It was in high school. It was my sophomore year of high school. And just to give a little more context, I will say I was someone who always knew I was going to drink even through childhood because both my parents quit drinking when I was very young. I think it was about five or six when they decided to quit drinking. And that was something that definitely impacted the way I looked at alcohol because it was never around. So there was never alcohol in the house. I never saw my parents tipsy or drunk. And so there was this mystery about alcohol because I was around it so little. It was only really at family gatherings. And even then, my extended family were not big drinkers. And then really, the biggest memories I have of drinking when I was younger, my friend's family members drinking. So their parents drinking and going over to their houses and having dinner and seeing them drinking a glass of wine with dinner. And it seemed like this thing that was missing in my family, that it made everybody get along, not to say that my family fought or anything like that, but it just seemed like it was this extra level that these families had that I didn't understand why it wasn't a part of my family. And so there was just this mystery and curiosity about alcohol from that very young age. So because of that, I think I always knew I was going to drink. I always wanted to try it. And so The first real opportunity that came around was when I was a sophomore. I had just auditioned for theater, which, as I said earlier, is a part of my life now. So theater has always been a big part of my life. And it was the first play that I actually got a part in. And the rest of the cast, it was a small cast, 
were older than me. So they were seniors and I was a sophomore. And so when the cast list was posted, they said, hey, we're having a party, come by. And that was my first introduction to alcohol. And I think from also a young age, I was definitely a kind of a weird kid. I struggled making friends. I was bullied. And so I was always looking for inclusion. And I was always looking to be connected to people. And this was the first time that I felt like they were including me and they wanted me to be there. And in order to be part of this, alcohol was kind of a part of that situation. And so not only did I want to do it, but it was also really cool and they were older and I was like super into the idea. And so that first time I drank was magic. It was great. I felt like I had friends and they liked me and I was laughing and it was, we had these inside jokes after that night. And so that was really my beginning of my high school experience was drinking with that group of older seniors and these house parties where, you know, parents would go out of town and we would all sleep over and pretend to be the other person's parents. And it was the secret cool thing that I was doing. And I remember that it just felt like that thing that helped me get to where I wanted to be. And then my senior year is when everything started to, to change because not only did those people move on and go to college, so I didn't see a lot of those friends anymore. The few people that I was friends with, I had a really big falling out with. And so, as you can imagine, senior year, losing my friends was really difficult. And I very quickly was grasping for any new friends that I could find. And I did find a new group of friends that, unfortunately, their thing that they did together was not just drink, but it was drugs. And it's interesting because... This is part of my story. And, and the reason I want to talk about this is because I think denial is the word that I think about with the journey of my drinking, because the way that I looked at alcohol from the start was that I wanted to do it. I had this motivation to drink. With drugs, there was always apprehension. I was always nervous about it. I was a dare kid. But I felt like I almost had to do it because I wanted to be a part of this group. So that is when I started actually doing cocaine, which was very young to do cocaine, senior year, 18 years old, and started doing that very quickly and very rapidly. And drinking alcohol and cocaine were really hand in hand. I was doing both of these things every day. And I wasn't doing one without the other. They really were very intertwined. And I, I remember driving home to my parents' house late at night and just clutching a water bottle of liquor because that was the thing that was going to help me get through the come down from cocaine. And so it was like this blanket that I had from a very early age that I knew as long as I had that bottle of liquor in my purse, I was going to be okay. But if I didn't have it, everything was going to fall apart. So yeah. that was kind of the beginning of my drinking. I just want to acknowledge a couple of things just right out the gate that have, that caught my attention is that I think your, your first experience kind of follows the trend of a lot of people that we have on the podcast is that, you know, you mentioned just adolescence, being adolescents, being bullied and kind of feeling excluded and then having this opportunity to be a part of, to be a part of something. And, uh, you know, hanging out with older kids. And it's just crazy to me. The difference is like, 
I've got a high school age kid and like my wife and I are involved with youth. Can we just acknowledge that like for freshmen and seniors to be like in the same building and exist in the same space, there's a lot that happens in those four years. So that's anyway, that, that age gap is, is huge, even though numerically it's very small anyway. Yeah. To feel, you know, you mentioned that inclusion that you felt and that's, that's such a big reinforcer and, and a motivator to continue that it's like, all right, this is the link. This is what we have. And, and there's, there's probably more than that, but that's the easy one. Right. So that's what we grab. And then fast forwarding to, you know, the departure of those friends for, for different reasons. And yeah, I, I can appreciate that feeling of like loneliness and, and scared and, and finding that other group and, you know, not to admonish them, but you know, the, you trying to adapt to their behavior again, cause looking for that belonging. So, yeah, I think, I think a lot of us have had a version of that and it sounds like there was a, a rapid escalation in, in that behavior. And, um, even in that senior year, maybe having some, some dependency, at least in terms of like recognizing on another level, not only is this a social connector that, that has been useful, but also, uh, attached with some, some drug use. This is, this is another tool that I need. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep let's keep walking forward. How did it how how did things play out beyond, you know, as you as you left high school? Yeah, so into my 20s, I would say I started to identify as being a partier. It became part of who I was. I was proud of it. It was a piece of armor that I would wear that I was proud to show off. I loved being able to drink anyone under the table. I loved to be the one that could stay up all night and be one of the last people standing. And so it really became this part of me that I convinced myself was part of my story. And again, something I felt I should be proud of. I think from the earlier years of taking cocaine, I then progressed into other drugs from ecstasy into prescription pills, specifically Adderall. And the thing that's similar across all of those is they're often paired with drinking because it allows you to keep drinking because it cancels out some of those effects that we're trying to get away from when we drink too much, like the spins. It just allows you to keep being able to drink and drink and drink. And that's how I used those drugs. It was never about doing the drugs. It was always about being able to drink more. That's why I was doing the drugs. And the funny thing was, if you had told me that back in my early 20s, I would have argued with you all day because I could not embrace that I had a drinking problem. I was in such denial. In my mind, it was better to have a drug addiction than it was to have a drinking addiction, which is crazy to me because when you think about those two things, they're, I mean, they're so similar, but it was the fact that society had convinced me for so long that I could not have a drinking problem. And so I did everything I could from moderating my drug use, moderating my drinking, trying to figure out what's that perfect equation that's going to make me be able to do this and function and be like everyone else. And I just couldn't figure it out. Every weekend I was saying, oh, I'm just going to have a glass of wine. It turned into a bottle. Then it turned into Adderall. Then it turned into whatever liquor was in somebody's house. And I was up until 6 a.m. and ruined the rest of my weekend. And I started to feel like there was this dueling part of myself where I always called it my Jekyll and Hyde 
where I was one person when I was sober. And then I was this other person that I didn't even understand when I was intoxicated. And it felt like this other person was almost out to get me because the next day I'd wake up and realize not only was I telling everyone that would listen every deep, dark secret that I had, but I also started telling other people's secrets that weren't mine to tell. And I would wake up the next morning with this absolutely terrible anxiety of, oh my God, what did I tell of all these people? And then having to do damage control. And so it was this just never ending cycle that I could not get off of. And it was just the worst. It really was. I love that term anxiety because it's, it's so appropriate. It's just, it's completely accurate. And it, it sounds like, you know, I always ask the question, like, did you, did you recognize early or like in, in your active drinking that there was an issue? And it sounds like, sounds like you did, even, even though you identified as a part of your, uh, you mentioned having those dueling, those dueling parts and that, that inner conflict. And that's really tough on us. It kind of, I think it kind of rips us apart. Yeah. That's, that's a tough place to be in. You mentioned that you would have these intentions to maybe just have like a little bit of wine or, or only so much and that it always went out of control in like in the aftermath of having an intention or a plan, uh, what sort of feelings did you go through if, you know, like when they weren't able to go the way that you wanted them to go? I mean, definitely frustration, anger, disappointment, shame, guilt. I mean, there was just all, all the just awful, heavy emotions, I would get into such deep depression and be so desperate to just do anything to get out of it. I was the person that was Googling, like, how do you fix anxiety after a long night of drinking? Like, I was trying to figure out what pills can I take? What drink can I chug just to make it better? But of course, the answer of just getting rid of the actual substance was not ever on the table. That, yeah. that couldn't be the answer. Treating the symptom and yes. and not the how does that saying how does that saying go treating the <laughs> symptom and not the problem I don't know whatever it is yes did you have anyone in your life that you were that you were talking about this with or was this all was this all done just internally with yourself there definitely were people I talked to my parents actually were some of the people I talked to and that's how it's always been hard because. I feel like I've tried so many times to tell people that I'm struggling. And when you surround yourself with people that party the way that you do, they often aren't the ones that are going to give you what you want to hear, because then that's a reflection of themselves. Yeah. And so I think I did ask that question. I, especially when I was intoxicated, would bring it up when I'd start feeling those emotions, because towards the end, the anxiety wasn't even just the next day. It started to creep into the actual end of my night, which I remember very clearly, where you started actually feeling terrible while you're still intoxicated. And so I think, yes, I, I was trying to have somebody validate the way I was feeling, but I was probably asking the wrong people. That's a, a tough spot to be too. We look, we want that that confirmation bias so that we're so that we at least speaking for myself, I didn't want I didn't want to feel judged. So there was a lot of people in my life who had similar behaviors or, or I would adjust myself to kind of match their behavior. But people, you know, the people around me didn't, didn't know either. When we, when we do ask people, you know, they're not, again, there's no judgment on who we were hanging out with, but they might not be in a space where they're ready or, or, or prepared to, to take that look. 
And it's tough. It's tough without support. And we end up ultimately feeling alone. That's a, that's a hard place to be. Let's keep walking forward, Lacey. Yeah. So from my 20s, I really ended with prescription pills, which was Adderall specifically and drinking. And again, those two really just became something that if I drank, I was looking for Adderall because I knew that I would hit the gas pedal so fast that I could not drink without something to help counteract it. And it was it felt like it was just destroying my life. And I didn't know how to get off of that train that I was riding. Things really started to change for me, not even because of a choice I made. It was something that happened to me that made me realize that I needed to maybe stop drinking. And that was in 2019. Um, I actually, right after my husband and I got married, we unfortunately, I I was hospitalized uh, really quickly after we got married with a pretty rare reaction to antibiotics where I had a bad colon infection. It was a mess. And right after that, I started just having really weird symptoms that I couldn't figure out, started going to doctors. And it started pointing in the direction that there was something autoimmune happening in my body. And we were thinking, or my doctors were thinking, this is probably an autoimmune disease, but we can't figure out what it actually is. And I remember at that time, as soon as I started getting some of this feedback from doctors, this voice in my head was saying, oh no, I think some of this might be because of what I've been doing. These years of me drinking and doing drugs and smoking cigarettes and just not taking care of myself, I have a feeling that's part of what's happening. And that was really, really hard. And I started to play the victim card. And instead of saying, this is an opportunity to start taking care of myself. I went the other way and I started partying even harder because I didn't want to face the fact that I was maybe hurting my own self. And so I started to drink more on the weekends, continue taking prescription pills. And I remember one morning waking up and my entire body was covered in these red dots all over my body. And they weren't there the night before. And that was connected to this autoimmune reaction. And it was, you know, I'd been up all night partying and I could literally see it in the mirror, what this was doing to me. And when I finally had that moment of, you know what, I think it's time that I stop. It was uh, when I was in Chicago, I used to work in the city of Chicago and commute from the suburbs to Chicago every day. And I had gone to one of these specialty doctor appointments and I was hoping to get an answer and I was confident I was going to get an answer on something that day. And it was another dead end where they said, you know, we're sorry, there's no answer here. The tests are negative. And I felt so defeated and frustrated and helpless. I was walking to the train and I stopped and I sat on a curb and I cried in the middle of the day with people walking by me because it was just like I had hit my breaking point. And I remember in that moment, this sense of clarity of, you know what? It's time to stop playing the victim card. It's time to finally face the fact that this is what's been the problem all along. And you have to give yourself a chance to see if you can make yourself better. And I'd love to say that after that day, I never drank again. That's not true. It was probably another couple weeks until I really had that last drink. And even then, that was not my last drink. But that was the moment that I realized you got to stop denying 
and just embrace the fact that this is the thing that just needs to go entirely. There's no more moderation. You got to get this out of your life. Yeah. Wow, Lacey. That is a, that's a really powerful moment. And I think, I think it illustrates the extent, the extent that we will go to just to try to avoid facing, like we, we can see it on the horizon and we're, we're looking at it. We glance at it every once in a while, but we just, you know, turn our head or, or put those blinders on or whatever the hell analogy or cliche a person wants to throw at it. But like, we know that it's there, but we just don't want to look at it. And just the power that, that that moment has when we're, when we can just accept, like, this is where I'm at. And if that means that we're sitting on a curb in Chicago and just having a little cry with a bunch of pedestrians, that then so be it. But what a, what a powerful moment. And I, I love that you said that it wasn't, that that wasn't necessary, necessarily a light switch. Like Lacey drinks, has this realization, Lacey doesn't drink. It's, it's a process. And I, I think that's important for people to hear because sometimes we think that that's, that that's it. Like, you know, you have this epiphany and poof, you're done. And your life is amazing. Let's spend some time talking about what some of those on and offs look like for you and, and. Uh, maybe just sharing with our listeners what what it's looked like for you to get to that point of you know what has been your last drink. Uh, what sorts of things did you try? You get it. I'll quote over yeah. explaining. Yeah. So I after that day, like I said, I I actually went on vacation with my husband, and I remember the whole vacation. All I did was drink, and it was miserable, and it was not at all what I wanted it to be. And that was actually the last real big hurrah that I had. I got home and I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm good. And I decided let's give it 30 days. And if I get 30 days, I'm going to join this thing called Cafe as a gift to myself. Cause I had been listening to recovery elevator for probably a year, maybe a year and a half at that point. And I was like, if I can prove to myself, I can get 30 days. I'm going to give myself this gift right around my birthday. And so I did, I joined Cafe go and was really excited to be there, but I wasn't really engaging with people. I was definitely more on the outside, just kind of watching what was going on. And I think at that time, I still was kind of, I don't know, gritting my teeth, like just, I was trying to get through and I wasn't really completely ready to embrace sobriety. There was still that little part of me that was hopeful that I could be a normal drinker one day. So I actually got six months of sobriety and That six months was great. I won't say the full six months was great. The first four months was pretty shitty. It was hard. (laughs) Uh, You know, going out to any kind of social situation sucked. I felt like I didn't know who I was. I was like a fish flopping out of water. I just couldn't do it. I was uncomfortable all the time. But then by five, six months, I was feeling really good. The pink clouds started coming in. And Along with the pink cloud came that little voice that said, you know what? We're getting to six months. That's a really long time. Maybe we're cured. And my husband and I started looking for a house to buy. And this always makes me laugh. We we found a house that we loved, this old house that I'm currently living in. And in the basement of that house, there was a bunch of wine racks. It was like a wine room. And I remember seeing the wine racks and I was like, well shoot, I'm going to have to drink wine if we buy this house because there's racks for the wine. Son of a bitch, they (laughs) got me. (laughs) So I was like, you know, I just needed that excuse to drink again. And that was it. So we bought the house and I said, 
you know, I'm going to start drinking again. And I even remember telling people I'm going to start drinking again. And they were like, Ooh, really? Are you? And I was like, it's fine. It's fine. And so I, we moved in and the week that we moved in was the week that COVID happened. So that totally turned everything all upside down. And that also fed into, well, I better drink because the world's going to hell. And so I started drinking because of COVID, because I felt like I could because of COVID. I drank for about three months, I believe. And I'm actually really grateful for COVID because it made me realize that my drinking really sped right back to where it was very quickly. I think if I had had the opportunity to go out and socialize with people and drink, I would have started convincing myself, denying again that I could be a normal drinker. But I was right there by myself alone in my house and I was drinking to the point that I was passing out with the windows open Mm -hmm. and waking up and the whole house is dark and I'm in a fishbowl. And I realized, you know what? I, I don't think I can make this work. And actually, my husband was the one who said, one day you're drinking exactly the way you were drinking when you said that you would quit. So maybe you should quit again. And I was like, yeah, damn, I'm going to need to quit again. <laughs> so that's that was when I had my last drink, uh, May 15th of uh, 2020. And actually the next day I had just joined, rejoined Cafe Ari. I actually left Cafe Ari when I decided on my three months that I was going to be a drinker again. So I rejoined Cafe Ari. I started joining the Marco Polo group because Marco Polo is kind of where everyone was connecting at that time since we were all stuck inside with COVID going on. And that day after I had really rejoined and um, decided I was going to stop drinking was when I met my accountability partner. And that's been one of the best gifts of this whole journey. Um, She's one of my soul sister. She's my best friend, Nikki, and she's just amazing. And she's one of the main reasons that I'm even here on the podcast today. So shout out to Nikki. What's up, Nikki? (laughs) We're going to come back to Nikki. I wanted to ask a question and uh, hopefully this isn't too sales pitchy. It's not intended to be, but you had mentioned that uh, you, you were going to give your yourself the gift of Cafe Ari membership. And listeners, if you haven't heard us talk about Cafe Ari, it's just, it's an online accountability group that Recovery Elevator offers. It's community. That's basically what it is, is community. But you had mentioned that that was going to be your 30-day treat to yourself. And I think we all, you know, we it doesn't benefit us to think about like changing the past and, and trying to change it. it. It takes what it takes. We've been through what we've been through for a reason, I believe. But if you could go back and talk to your yourself before that, would you still recommend waiting 30 days before finding that community? No, not at all. Especially for someone like me, who the reason I drank in the first place was because I wanted connection. Mm-hmm. And so when I stopped drinking, I couldn't figure out how to connect with the people I used to drink with because that was how we connected. So all of a sudden I was alone again. And that was always what fed into my issues. So having connection was so important, probably the most important thing that I needed in my life at that time. Yeah. I just wanted to, I think that's such an, there's so many of us who think, all right, I'm going to create some accountability or I'm going to let someone know, I'm going to tell my friends, my family, but whoever, whatever your support is, once I have X amount of time. And it's a lot of time for me, like 
I had this goal of like, of let's say it was a week. I wanted to get a week and then maybe I would tell my buddy Joe, hey, I made it a week and I'm, I'm trying this thing. But it might have taken me six months before before I even hit that week and I'm just burning time. So I just want to encourage any of our listeners, if that's like, you know, if you've had that thought, like, all right, I'm going to get whatever and then maybe I'll try something. I just want to encourage you. There's, you know, Cafe RE obviously is one, but it's, but it's not the only, it's not the only game in town. There's a lot of different communities. And even if it's not recovery, there's, you know, there's church groups, there's a lot of, you know, health and fitness, yoga, hiking, there's, there's all sorts of communities out there full of people who, who will be willing to support you and and walk alongside you. So, and I, I love what you said that you found community in drinking. So yeah, like let's look for that community on the, on the recovery side as well. And yeah, you found your Nikki. And yes. if, if people don't, haven't heard that term, you know, I think a lot of times we hear about like a sponsor in recovery, you know, if people hear, hear about traditional 12 step, but if somebody hasn't heard what, what an accountability partner is, uh, can you explain that relationship and dynamic that the two of you have and, and what you are for each other? Yeah. So accountability partners, they are official in Cafe RE. You can ask for one, but Nikki and I just kind of found each other and it organically turned into this relationship. And really what it is, is someone to support you when you're feeling like you need someone to call, when you're feeling a little shaky, when you're having a hard time or a great time, and you just need to share with someone to get through that second, that minute, that day to get you on the other side, they're there for you. And she was that and much more over time. But through the Marco Polo app, we actually talked every single day, sometimes multiple times a day for an entire year. And how special that is to have found a friendship like that in your in my 30s. You know, what they always say as you get older, it's awkward to, you know, meet new new friends. And so not only were we able to support each other, but our stories are also very different. And so that was really cool. It was a different perspective on drinking because they were so different journeys and we were able to talk about it. And it gave me a different perspective of my own relationship with alcohol. Yeah. That's really neat that that completely different folks from completely different backgrounds, completely different usage and life histories. We can find these bonds and uh, social media and technology is a real bummer for a lot of stuff, but there's also some beautiful things that, that can come out of it. And I know like Marco Polo, when I first heard of Marco Polo, I was like, what in the hell is this? But (laughs) there have been some, uh, you know, amazing friendships that have, have come out of that means of communication. And it just, it makes it really easy to just stay in touch with someone. And again, listeners, I just, you know, this is, you know, like Lacey said, this is something that we do in Cafe RE, but it's not like that, like you can find this in your life as well. Again, whether it's through a, some sort of a support community, but I think that point is who are those people in your life and, and who can you find and that importance of accountability and then developing a bond beyond just the talk of addiction. I'd be willing to bet that when you guys talk today, that it's probably not daily conversations of, are you feeling triggered? Have you, have you read your daily recovery literature? Yeah, no, not at all. Now we just, 
it's just girl talk all day, every day. And even I'll say we, we don't talk every day anymore. Now it's maybe two or three times a week. And we've said a few times that it feels weird that we don't talk as much as we used to, but we don't feel like we need that in the way that we did in that first year where we were really surviving. We were trying to just keep our heads above water and holding each other's hands while we did it. Yeah. There's growth and development. And I think it's cool that, you know, that you have each other. And I think that's really, really neat that each of you has, has found a partner in this. And again, like the, those conversations to the listeners, like it doesn't, these friendships that we form in recovery, these people that we meet when we open ourselves up, it's not, all right, let's talk about Bill Wilson's life today. Like it's, that's not it. Like sometimes it starts like that, but it grows into just people doing life together. I know most of my closest recovery friends were, we're talking about someone's goofy ass cat and what they did or, or, you know, the ball game that somebody went to with their kids or a, a trip that the other friend is on. And, and it, it just keeps that door open. So if one of us is having a real tough day, it's, we're already talking. Yep. Hey, your, your sandwich looked great that you had for lunch. Also, I'm kind of going through it right now. That's great. So let's talk about the last three years a little bit. You found your accountability partner. You know, we've talked about what that relationship can look like. What other sorts of things have happened in your life over the past three years? Like what, what sorts of changes did you have to make and, and what did those look like? And then also I want to talk about like some of the, the perks, some of the benefits that you've seen. Yeah. So some of the changes, you know, I think there's always this fear when you stop drinking that you're going to miss out, that you're going to lose friends. And I'm here to say that that doesn't happen all the time, but there is a little bit of that. And that, that can be hard to come to terms with. I, I have maybe not lost friends, but there are some connections that aren't as strong because I don't drink with them. And I'm okay with that because the connections that I have as a sober person are so much stronger than those relationships that I used to have. So it's kind of a tit for tat and I'm okay with the trade. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know good things, I feel like I've made a lot more space in my life to do the things that I used to love that I hadn't done in a really long time because every day after work, it was, well, let's go sit outside and drink wine and smoke cigarettes. And now it's, hey, let's go to the animal shelter and volunteer for a few hours or let's memorize lines to be in a show. I hadn't done theater since I was probably 20 and just recently got back into that because I couldn't fit that in my life before. And that right there is one of the biggest gifts of sobriety is being able to finally feed my inner kid in a way that I couldn't because alcohol just took up too much space. Yeah. Like you said in the intro that all the different hobbies and activities that you have, I think those are beautiful gifts, beautiful gifts of, of recovery. And how cool is that, that you now you have the time to to dig into these things with coming up on three years under your belt what are you looking forward to i don't want to steal my rapid fire questions but <laughs> we've but we've got we've got a, a couple minutes before we get there what are you lo looking forward to like what's working today and, and what do you plan for the future so i'm looking forward to continuing to figure out who the real me is because I was away from, I think, my true authentic self for a very long time. So it takes takes a long time to kind of get back to who that person actually is. And that's a lot of self-care. That's a lot of trying new things. 
I just recently traveled to Costa Rica, not with Recovery Elevator, because there's lots of Costa Rica things (laughs) around Recovery (laughs) Elevator, but uh, my own trip to Costa Rica. And that was the first real trip that I've taken, uh, especially sober. And it was incredible. So I'm excited to travel more and just really figure out how to make my life feel full in a way that I'm proud of. Because before I used to think that being this partier is something I was proud of. And the irony there is I don't even remember most of those years because I wasn't really present for them. So I'm excited to finally be present in this next year of sobriety and then in the future from there. Could you just sum up how it feels to be just closer to your true self than than you felt before? I feel like it's a freedom and a relief that I never realized was possible. I don't think you realize when you're drinking how much you've dimmed your own light. Mm. And when you finally let go of that, you just shine in a way that you didn't think you could. That's beautiful, Lacey. And you've got a bright light, sister, and you deserve to let it shine. And I'm just, I'm really proud of you and, and the work that you've done. That's, it's just, it's amazing to see to be able to see people come back to life and hear the stories about how they came back to life and, and to be able to live brightly because you deserve it. Our listeners deserve it. And uh, like you said, that freedom to be able to have that freedom, it's out there and it's, it's for us for sure. Sister, we are at our rapid fire round in 30 to 60 seconds. Can you answer these questions? Yes. (laughs) All right. Number one, what? was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? My biggest fear was that I was not going to have any friends. I was never going to do anything fun. And I was just going to sit at home and become a cat lady. And I still am a cat lady and I still have fun and I still go out. So it's still a good time when you're sober. I want to be a cat lady. I want curlers in the hair and a robe, whole thing. Uh, Number two, what is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? My positive is definitely having the space to do more things that are meaningful to me and also give back to people finally that I maybe couldn't give back to because I just didn't have the energy to do that. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, Number three, what is your go-to alcohol-free drink? So this is tough because I got two. Well, I've got three. I'll say coffee. I drink coffee every day. Coffee's the best. I love sparkling water, specifically LaCroix. And then what the other LaCroix? one. Yes, LaCroix. I got one right here. And then the other one would be ginger beer. I love ginger beer. Uh, with your ginger beer, <clears throat> two questions, two follow-up questions. I know it's the rapid fire, but we got a minute. Uh, do you lean like mild or or spicy? I like a little spicy. I like to also add some lime juice in there, so it kind of gives a little more acidity. Yeah, that was my that was my follow my second follow-up was are you are you mixing it with anything? The jury's out for me on, on ginger beer. I like the idea of it, and it's oh, it's not bad, but sometimes I don't know. Maybe it's <laughs> I, my North Dakota palate, where it's just like, oh, it's too hot. Um, anyway, <laughs> number four. What is your favorite resource in recovery? This could be a book, an app, a program, whatever, whatever you think. 
I'm going to go a little outside the box. I'm going to say a person. It's my my Nikki. She's really my biggest tool. But along with that, I would say, honestly, Marco Polo has been huge because having that during the pandemic, there was magic in that app during the pandemic, the connections that were made all across the world. So definitely Marco Polo. Yeah, I, I saw a bit of that. Some cool stuff. And just again, the theme with your Nikki and Marco Polo is connection. Absolutely a resource. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? I think it was on the Recovery Elevator podcast, and I'm pretty sure it was from Paul, which was if you are here listening, if you're Googling, if you think you have a drinking problem, I'm sorry to say you do, but that's not a death sentence by any means. It's okay. Embrace it. Trust me when you do, it will be so worth it to just embrace it. Amen to that. And last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if you are shopping for a house and you decide after six months of sobriety that you need a drink again because there's some dusty wine racks in the corner of a basement. It might be time. <laughs> not listen. Recovery Elevator, we cannot like architecture and design influence our recovery. Every vehicle I own is cup holders. That's not a reason to fill it with shitty Miller Lite. <laughs> Lacey, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. I want to thank you for your vulnerability. You're doing great, doing great. And uh, it's been amazing to spend this time with you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. All right, sister, be well. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Lacey, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. It's a neat opportunity to be able to do this podcast. One more time, I want to express my gratitude to you. Recovery isn't linear. Mine certainly isn't anyway. And I'm glad that I get the chance to share my ups and downs with you. I'm honored that I get to be able to walk with our guests through their stories. I get to meet podcast listeners and community members at our retreats. What up, Bozeman23, looking at you? It really is a cool little corner of the internet or of the world or whatever this is. Thank you for being a part of it. As we work our way through season five, please stay connected with us. Let us know how you are doing. Let us know what's working for you. Let us know how you're continuing to grow. Through all your ups and downs, please know that we are here for you. You're the only one that can do this, RE, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.